So we've been working on prayer lately and uh, what it means to talk to God about what we're doing in our lives together. And the question I, I think I want to ask you this morning is how's it going? How's it, how's it working? How's it not working? Because today we're going to conclude this series talking about prayer, but, but I don't want you to conclude working on what you're working on, if that makes any sense. Um, last week we spent a, a reasonable amount of time praying for our world and praying for brothers and sisters in suffering. This morning, before we jump into the message, I want to take a little bit of time Sorry about that noise. And I want to pray this morning, if we can, for our brothers and sisters that are gathering up and down the eastern half of our country with churches devastated from Hurricane Ida. I would imagine that from New York, New Jersey to the Gulf Coast, you would find a, a, a slew of churches. Let me rephrase a slew of church buildings that have been impacted, but churches that are likely stronger than ever, people who are coming together to serve their community, people who are coming together to help their neighbors, people who are coming together to help one another through the crisis when they've lost home, even when they've lost life. So would you pray with me this morning as we pray for those fellow Americans, Jesus, we thank you for brothers and sisters who may be struggling in this season, and yet I have a suspicion that your church is strong in serving communities. Your church is strong even when buildings have been flooded to come alongside neighbors and show love. I was telling someone this week, Lord, that I am often taken back when people say that churches take, but they don't give. And certainly there may be a few of those out there, but we know we want to be a giving church. And I have a suspicion that churches up and down the eastern half of the United States are giving in powerful ways. And so, Lord, we pray that you would empower that. Lord, there are churches who are wrestling with loss of life within the church. I pray that you would give comfort. Lord, there are churches who are trying to find ways to provide and meet real needs in their communities. I pray that you would provide strength and resources. And of course, Lord, there are Thousands of people who are still physically hurting and physically devastated. And Lord, I pray that you would provide the hope of the gospel. So that not only lives, but eternities could be changed. Jesus, I thank you that in the darkest, sometimes the most difficult times of life, you shine the brightest. And we certainly know this season, at least in our lifetime, feels like one of those difficult, dark moments for most. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would shine bright today in our hearts as we study your word. And I pray that in our country and around the world, that today, Jesus, we'd see you shine perhaps as bright as ever. Jesus, change souls, and for that matter, change our souls. Speak to our hearts today, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Here's the question. Do you live like Hetty Green? Do you know the name? Probably not. You would know the name if you lived 100 years ago, 130, 140 years ago. A little over 100 years ago, Hetty Green died. When she died, she died with the title America's Greatest Miser. Hetty died in 1916 and left an estate valued in her day at over $100 million dollars. This would be somewhere between two and four billion dollars in today's dollars. Hetty was likely the richest woman in the world in her day, but she ate cold oatmeal because, you know, it costs to heat that stuff up. I'm not joking. Her son had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long trying to find a free clinic. And in that time, his case became incurable. She was wealthy, but she intentionally chose to live like a pauper, not so that she could necessarily live in generosity, but just because she could. Some people called her eccentric or crazy. Nobody could prove it, of course. There are stories about how she hastened her own death, bringing on a stroke while arguing about the value, the value of drinking skimmed milk. Because you know that, (laughs) I don't know what that difference would have been back then, but what is the difference between skim and whole milk today, right? I think a lot of Christians live like heady with the resources of God, and I don't mean financial, like I mean it for her, but like we have the resources of God at our disposal, and yet we live like, eh, I'll use them, you know, when things get bad, when things get dark, when things get difficult, then I'll turn to God and his resources, But what if we got in the habit of living in those resources all the time? You say, what do you mean by resources? That's what I want to get at today. As we answer the question, do you know what you have? And are you using what you have? If you have your Bible, you might open it with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. One of the things we've done in this series is we've explored various prayers 
in the Bible. One of the great ways to learn to pray is to look to where the Bible prays and then learn from those prayers. We're going to do that in one of the great prayers of the Bible today. And like many of the other prayers of the Bible, it's not crazy long, but it's rich. And here's what I want to do. Again, since we're praying, I want you to pray about something right now. I want you to identify in your life or just ask God, even if you don't believe in God, just humor me. I hope you do believe in God, and I hope to convince you to believe in God. But if you don't believe in God today, then humor me and just try this, test it. And of course, if you do believe in God, I want you to test it too. So I want you to identify just in your mind really quickly, whatever you think the greatest need in your life might be today. It might be something challenging that you've worked on. It might be something that you've tried to change but can't, right? I mean, it's something in the realm of addiction. It could be something in the realm of the external, something like a physical change that needs to happen in your body. It could be an internal thing, like an attitude that you know has gone south throughout the pandemic. It could be something emotional, something financial. It could be any number of things. Why don't you just identify it? And then I want you to bow your heads with me. And while I talk, I want you to pray about God meeting you at the intersection of this great need. Okay, so I'm going to talk for a minute. And I want you to pray about God meeting you at the intersection of this great need that we are laying at the feet of God over the course of the day, hundreds of needs collectively. And we're telling God that, again, this might be relational. It might be emotional. It might be physical. This issue in your life, if it's significant, likely makes you feel a lot of different words. Maybe inadequate. Maybe it makes you feel powerless. Perhaps it leaves you feeling weak. You might feel Like you're all alone. Like no one else understands. You may feel like a fraud because everyone thinks you're a Christian, but you know you have these doubts or these struggles or you might feel desperate. Or overwhelmed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lord, I pray with my friends laying all of these needs and collectively hundreds of needs at your feet today, believing that what you give us at the intersection of our need and you 
is hope. And Lord, I pray that we would live in that hope today. Not the hope that you do what we want on our timetable, but the hope that you do what's best in your timing. Lord, I pray today that we would find at the intersection of you and our need that we would find the riches of your people, the riches of your hope, and the riches of your power and strength. Jesus, do that right now in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name with all my friends, all my friends say, amen. How do I know that at that intersection of Jesus and our need that he offers hope, that he offers riches of hope, riches of his people, riches of his power, because it's what scripture tells us. And this prayer we're going to read today tells us that. Why don't you read it with me? It's in Ephesians chapter one. Now, if you're keeping track and counting, in the last five, 10 minutes, we've already prayed twice. This is not a bad thing, is it? I know we have a sort of order we usually follow, but it's not a bad thing. Ephesians chapter 1 in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and to many churches that were around the church of Ephesus, he says, for this reason, Ephesians 1.15, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I think in the uh, Oklahoma version of the Bible where that came from, he said, your love for all y'all, <laughs> right? That's, that's good English grammar, isn't it? I have not stopped giving thanks for you, you plural here, this would be y'all, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I just want to catch for you that in one verse, again, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Trinity, God in his essence, three persons, one God. Reflected here, Father, Son, Spirit. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In the English, it says, this English, NIV, it says know him better. In the original, it just says know him, but they have translated it, know him better for us because of the word that is used there. I will come back to the word. He continues the prayer and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, again, the word know, but this is a different word know, and we're going to go back through these words as we go through this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The word there is, is often translated saints. Verse 19 says that you may know, is continuing, praying that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted 
when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Uses a bunch of words for strength and power there. That his power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted. All of those, all those words, power and strength and exert and might, all imply great, great power. That he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That the, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's available to me today. Say, so, well, that's great. Why doesn't God just, you know, snap his fingers, zing some power into me? And the thing we prayed about would be all good. Some of you prayed for physical needs, right? It might be your knees. It might be your back. It might be your brain. It might be any number of things. And you're looking for that zing. I would point us to the fact that the Bible says that there is a day and time where you and I will be raised in Christ in our bodies just as he was raised from the dead. So that power will be exerted on your behalf. When is the question. It might happen on this side of eternity. It will happen on the other side of the end of days. It will His power that raised Christ from the dead seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is evoked not only in the present age but in the one to come. And God placed all things, everything under his feet and appointed him, we're talking about Jesus here, to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. It's like Paul can't throw the word every in enough. And so everything in every way, in every manner that you can imagine, it's kind of what he's getting at. Bless you. Here's what I want to try to convince you of today based on this prayer, which is a great prayer to pray for your friends when you don't know what to pray and a great prayer to pray for yourself when you have a need that is just overwhelming you. And I would bet that most of us know what it is to have a need that is overwhelming us in this season. The one thing I want to convince you of today is just this simple concept that it's easier to know about Jesus than it is to experience Jesus. It's easier to know of Jesus than to experience Jesus, to know about Jesus than to experience Jesus. Prayer, prayer is often the missing link. Talking to God, the definition we've used all throughout the series, Dallas Willard's definition, prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. And the point of knowing Jesus is not to just know something in your head, but it's for your life to be changed. The point of knowing Jesus and knowing him better is to become like Jesus and be more like Jesus in the end. And again, I would suggest that prayer is often the missing link. If I asked you, do you Christians believe that Jesus offers hope? How many of you would go, yes, that he offers riches? Not financial, we're talking about and some, like, we hear riches, and we, we think cash, and a, a, cash is only a certain kind of riches, right? 
that the real richness is in something more powerful than cash, right? Here he says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If I asked you if you believed that his people were a glorious inheritance and that they were worth riches, you would look at yourself in the mirror and maybe look around you in the church and go, yeah, okay, hope I buy riches of us as an inheritance. Not so sure. If I were to ask you if God offered his power and I told you that his powerful, his power was powerful, more powerful than anything you've ever seen, mentally a lot of us would go, yes. But if I asked you if you're experiencing them right now, that's a different question, isn't it? Many of us offer, believe God offers these, but we don't always experience them, that there's a disconnect, a gap, a chasm between what we know of or know about God and what we experience or what we know by experience, a Grand Canyon, if you will, between what we know about Christ and what we experience in Christ. And if that's you, that makes you just like the Ephesian people and the Ephesian church, because that's why he's praying this for them. Remember, this passage is a prayer, and what is his prayer? That they might know Jesus better. That they might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. That they might know his incomparably great power for those who believe. I told you I was going to run back through those words, no. I pray, verse 17, or I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 17, the word know here is epigenosis. It's a thorough knowledge, a fuller knowledge, a, a, a more full knowledge that means to know better. Hence the translation. Verse 18 Right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that you may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Here the word is a different word for know that, that means something along the lines of have coming to know by experience. So he's praying on one hand for us to know in a fuller sense of knowledge, a fuller sense of a quality of knowing. And on the other hand, he is praying that we may know something by experience so that we don't just know about Christ, but we actually know him. We can point to it and say, yes, this is what he's done in my life. And I would encourage you at the intersection of your need and Christ, that when you're feeling discouraged or overwhelmed, even depressed, that you point to a lifetime of intersection of your need in Christ rather than a slice of time of the intersection of your need in Christ. Because we forget the lifetime and get so caught up in the once upon a time 
that I think we miss the thorough knowing that is described and talked about here. It's so easy in our lives to know of something, know about something, but do we know it? In this case, do we know Him by experience? You know, it's football season, right? I know a bit about football. There's no hiding I'm a football fan, right? Right. So we can talk all day long about the Ducks and how they played yesterday, the Beavers and how they played yesterday, right? And I would have opinion after opinion. But you know what I don't know by experience? I don't know what they were going through on the field. I wasn't on the field yesterday in the smoke trying to play that game. I certainly can, you know, armchair quarterback or armchair coach a little bit and get super critical of calls that were made in the game or plays that happened or why we passed here and didn't pass there. But not only was I not on the field yesterday, I didn't play football growing up. I mean, other than getting together with my buddies after church and playing football out in a park somewhere, that was the extent of my football experience. I don't, I don't know this by experience. I just know a bit about the game. But if you were on the field, you would know, wouldn't you? What I want to challenge you to do is let prayer be the field that puts you in the game rather than in the stands when it comes to God and the intersection of your needs. Prayer is often the missing link. Very quickly, and this seems obvious because I've described them, but I want to give them to you again. What does Jesus offer me? And if you're humoring me today and you don't believe in God today, here's literally what he's offering you and what I hope you'll come to know by experience. He offers me, number one, his incredible hope for my despair. His incredible hope for my despair, right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know here the knowing by experiential knowledge. You may know the hope to which he has called you. That you might experience the hope to which he has called you. And that hope is far more than I've got a bad knee and I hope God meets me at the intersection of he and my bad knee. That hope is much deeper and much more powerful and much more life transforming. And frankly, not just this life transforming, but forever life transforming. And it has to do with all that Jesus has done for you in living his perfect life, showing you the perfect way that you can't live, but he does, and then laying down his perfect life for your imperfect soul. That when he died on the cross, I found hope. It, it's weird that we take what was a device of torture and we wear it on jewelry around our necks and in our bracelets and in our anklets. But we do, don't we? We put crosses here and here and here and here. 
And I don't think that's a bad thing. And the reason I don't think it's a bad thing is because I think it's really good for you to be reminded where your hope comes from and for that hope to be on your hands and that hope to be near your feet and all you walk into and that hope to be near your brain. Because, you know, sometimes for me, it's like, are you even in there, brain? Not Brian, brain. Are you in there? that you might know his incredible hope for your despair. I've looked into my life at times and just thought I'm overwhelmed. And when I look up, what hasn't changed is my God. A lot has changed in the world in the last 18 months or so. But what has not changed is the power of God and the person of God and who Christ is and what Christ has done for me. And nothing about this slice in time negates everything Jesus has done in my life. Hang on to that. Jesus offers me his incredible hope for my despair. Number two, Jesus offers me his imperfect people for my loneliness. The phrase here is that I pray that you may know by experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints or in his holy people. There is great debate about what this is. And at first reading and first glance, it seems to say that we are his riches. His people are his riches. And we read that and we go, well, something seems sort of wrong about that because we're so imperfect and so flawed and so broken and so messed up. And, and so uh, commentators go out of their way to find something else that this means. Like, like the hope is the rich thing and the rich hope that's in the saints is what is rich because his saints can't be rich. But it doesn't call you his sinful people. It calls you his holy people. Because when he died on the cross, he died to transform us, to save us from our sins, right? And in dying on the cross, he has redeemed us. And when he sees us, he sees Jesus and his holiness in us. And that's the only holiness we can claim to. Not our own sense of being perfect or good or great or like, look at me and how awesome I am. None of that but more look at Jesus in me and how good he is, and that makes us his holy people. And he's saying that's rich. In fact, he's saying that God considers us his inheritance. And you and I look at ourselves in the mirror and go, eh? And we look around at the church and we go, eh? Do you know how often I have heard somebody say, you know, I am all about Jesus, but his church just bugs me. His church has offended me. His church has hurt me. His church has run me off. His church has judged me. His I just want to say, like, join the club. His flawed, imperfect people have done that to all of us. Because we're flawed sinful, imperfect people. And if you look into the mirror and isolate away from everybody else, you'll see a person for whom Jesus died. And if you've already trusted him for salvation, a person for whom Jesus died, that Jesus is in the process of transforming. And that process is unfolding in a way that doesn't always go the way God wants it to go. Does this make sense? 
And so you see in yourself all of the flaws and imperfections still. But do you think God does not see them? Is God's head buried in the sand somewhere? I don't think so. God all knows all about how broken you are. And yet, in Christ, he still considers you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I want to pull it back from you to all of us, saints, plural. So now what we're clearly talking about here is the church. And for all of the times in your life and mine where we have wanted to run away from church and say, but those people hurt me. But those people were mean. And I certainly, I call us out regularly, like, let's not be that church, right? Right? Let's not be that religious church, that prideful church, that judging church. Let's not be that place that's holier than everybody else and we're perfect and everybody else is messed. Let's not be that place. Let's be authentic and real, but let's also be that authentic, real people whom Jesus is transforming. Here, he calls the church his body, right? By the end of the passage. Uh, He does everything, verse 23... God placed, verse 22, God placed all things under his feet, Christ, and appointed him to be head over everything. This is everything in the world for the church, which is his body. Here, it calls the church his body. But do you know somewhere else in scripture, it calls the church his bride? Now, if you were to say to me, Brian, I want to know you, but I don't want to know your family because of your bride. I love my bride, sorry. (laughs) She's like, please don't do this. Do you know those fighting words? If you say to a man, man, you have have brides, many of you, some of you, right? You have brides. If I say to you, you're great, dude, but I can't stand your bride. So I want you in my life, but I don't want your bride in my life. Like, kick her out. Isn't that a reason to, like, knock me out? And yet we say it to Jesus all the time. And I just want to remind you that the people of God are truly riches. They are truly an inheritance. We are truly saints. And you say, but there's nothing saintly about me. I think saints aren't the dead people who've died. Saints are his people now with holiness of Christ in them. And the reason were riches and an inheritance and powerful and all these things is because we love Jesus, because we love each other, because we love the world the way Jesus loves the world, because we offer to each other intimacy and community and grace and accountability and support, because we pray for one another and we give ideas and help and resources to one another, because we can come alongside and give wisdom and guidance and be God's body with skin on. There's a richness in that. And frankly, I think a lot of times when we're in the mode of like, I like Jesus, but I don't like his church. What we're really saying is like, I like Jesus, but I don't like anybody down here providing accountability. Sorry, did I, did I go too far today? Because <laughs> that one just gets under my skin a bit. We 
We are offered his indescribable hope. We are offered his imperfect people, and we are offered his incomparable, incomparable power for our inadequacy and fear. Number three, his incomparable power for my inadequacy and fear. He's praying here that we might know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And that power is the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted. So we have the word power. It's the word dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. Don't think, do think explosive. Don't think God's trying to blow you up. We have the word working, which is the word essentially our word energy would come from. We have the word strength. We have the word mighty. And we have the word exerted. There are five words there painting Jesus as powerful. It may seem to you that these people he's writing to in Ephesus just have no worries at all, that there's nothing power sort of related they have to be worried about. But I would suggest to you that ancient Ephesus was probably more like modern-day Haiti than modern-day America because they practice a sort of magic that wasn't voodoo, but the Haitians would think of as voodoo today. Right, these incantations, this ability for humans to sort of manipulate what happens in their words, their phrase, sort of the heavenly realms. We get into the realms of the demonic here, and we sometimes in Christian circles go, ooh, demons, Satan, like this is scary, spooky stuff. Right? In fact, we, we, we have a love-hate relationship with it, right? In church world, We'll talk about it, but then Halloween comes around, and we're like, oh, don't anybody talk about it. The world's got some concern about these forces that sort of exist. If you've ever run into somebody who genuinely believes in ghosts, you would know, not Scooby-Doo kind of spooky, but like the real, like they've been spooked. And what he's reminding us here is whatever powers exist that are non-physical in the world out there, that Christ is over all of them. And that his authority is over all of those things. And not only does he have that authority, but he has the real power, the power that's in work in us, that was praying is at work in us, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, that's power. Homer, I'm glad you're here today. I, I remember a number of years ago, you and I were having a conversation about funny cars, right? And, and how, I mean, it's like sitting on a rocket. You can experience more G's in that than astronauts headed into space. And like there's just, in, we humans know how to make incredibly powerful pieces of metal. And launch them this way or that way. And he's saying the most powerful thing to ever exist is the power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's more powerful than anything that exists in the heavenly realms. It's the same thing that we got at in our Stronger series earlier in the year when we talked about the fact, Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This power in Christ is more powerful than 
any of those things. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head for over everything in the world for the church, which is his body's pointing out to us that his power is great and that we have the riches of his people and we have his indescribable hope. And these things are available to us to actually know by experience. So I want to get practical for our last minutes before we conclude and pray and sing some more. And I want to give you three strategies for getting to know Jesus better. Again, all from this text. I think it's the ultimate question. How do I know these things personally by experience? How do I know them, know him better? And again, the point of knowing him better is to be more like him. It's not so that we can be more religious, right? It's not so that we can be the church that judges everybody else. It's not so we can get on our high horse and think any of that sort of religious-y kind of stuff. It's so that we can be more like Jesus, and so at the end of the day, when, when I'm struggling with how I'm doing in my Christianity, a bit of the question is, where do I need to be more like Jesus? Which always takes me back when, when God is at work in my life and I'm being changed and I'm being transformed, always sort of brings me back to, to this little section of the Bible here in, in the like two-thirds of the way through part we call the Gospels where I can read of Jesus and I can ask myself, am I acting like Jesus? Like, I'll be straight with you. I get pretty fed up with church world too. I read probably far more than you do about brothers and sisters who like just like thumbing their nose at each other and saying, we're more Christian than you are. This stuff just turns your stomach, right? And the question I want to ask is, are we more like Jesus? Is this a world who needs us to be that? Maybe if the church was more like Jesus, the world would be more transformed like it was in Jesus' day. So how do I get to know Jesus better? Three strategies. Number one, don't let anything distract me from feeding my soul. Don't let anything distract me from feeding my soul. Right? Again, verse 17, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So we have God the Father here. We have the Lord Jesus Christ here. We have the spirit of wisdom and revelation here. Like, these are depths I will never exhaust. Right? Don't you think there is a sense in which I have, you have, been over to the coast? Have you seen the Pacific Ocean? I have. It's, it's beautiful, right? There's Oregon coast beautiful. There's Southern California coast beautiful. There's Hawaii coast beautiful. The Pacific Ocean is just beautiful. I've never been to Japan or China or that side of the world, but I'm sure the coastlines are just beautiful there too. I've swam in it. Yeah, even in Oregon, I've gotten in, you know, to cold. I've swam in it where it's warm. I've swam in it. But if I were to say to you, you know what? I know the Pacific Ocean. Can we just establish that God knows the Pacific Ocean? 
that God would know the ins and outs of all the trenches that align, that God would probably be able to tell me in any given moment the number of fish and mammals that exist in the realm of the sea, that God would know in its entirety. Well, in that sense, I know Jesus. But don't you think there's room for me to know him a little more? I mean, if we have Father, Son, and spirit here, isn't, isn't there room in my life for me to, isn't there more Jesus to know? I mean, it's great to know him on the coastline a little bit, but isn't there more room to understand him at his depths? Now, now contrast that with the sense in which you and I often live, where Jesus is, is a priority, a priority, but you know, we got a lot of other a priorities in our life. And sometimes when other things are the priority, Jesus is not the priority. And perhaps what needs to happen in my life is some sense of prioritization that allows me to become more like Jesus by getting to know him better. So that I'm seeing him for who he really is, as described here so that I see all of life from his point of view, right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And this enlightenment brings a point of view that is from God's perspective. It's powerful when this happens. This is why Brian talks about our Bibles and our Bible reading. This is why I talk about prayer and the importance of praying. It's why we pray a prayer of discipleship every Sunday, and we talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus on an every Sunday ongoing basis. Because I really want you to know Jesus better. And I will swim around for the rest of my life in all that Jesus is and still not fully know him. Right? Somebody has said that the Bible is great because it is shallow enough that the youngest soul can swim around in it and still have some understanding. And it is deep enough that the most seasoned saint can swim around in it and never exhaust all that it contains. And that actually informs quite a bit the strategy of how and why we treat, teach the way we do here at Harvest, right? Because we're super practical and yet we're rooted in the scripture. We're teaching not only from the Bible, but to some degree through the Bible. And as we're doing that, we're exhausting what the text actually says to our lives. But we're building this great bridge between our lives and the Scripture, the text, the, the power of what Christ says in Scripture so that, the, so that things can flow there. And sometimes we get criticized a bit for taking the approach we do, but I still think it's the right approach because how else am I going to know Jesus better if I don't understand what it's saying? And I am fully reticent of the fact that I always have, often have young ones among us here. And so we've got to be able to swim in the places where it is shallow enough for the youngest of babes. And we've got to be able to swim in the depths of the ocean of the Bible. Does this make sense? So don't let anything distract you from feeding your soul. Number two, how do I knew Jesus better? I, some, I just got to use what I already have. He's telling us that I already have hope. It's mine that I already have the riches of his glorious inheritance that are the saints. That I already have his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's not like God is in heaven going, don't 
don't you wish you had one of these? No. I'm going to give you a little wish of hope. Nope. Wouldn't you like, like, well, that's how we think of it. Like God's on a fishing line, right? With hope or power. He's out there just dangling it just beyond our reach. And that if we were just somehow like on our own, just perfect little people, we'd be able to grasp it. But we can't because God is always, you know, this is telling us that we already have these riches, And if his people are considered an inheritance for him one day, doesn't that make them a treasure for us now? Which takes me back to in the coming weeks, we will talk to us about groups and we'll talk to us about our teams. And I want to be all about being wise as we go through the season of the pandemic, but I don't want us to be completely isolated from one another. Does that make sense? So we're really trying to work wisely at how to connect people. And sometimes that has to happen electronically. And sometimes that has to happen with these, you know, little devices that I pick on sometimes right? And, and sometimes it can happen in person. But the bottom line is you need people in your life who can be your people, people in your life who can, who can be there for you and who can, you can say, hey, I already have this glorious inheritance of treasure that is the saints. A number of years ago, we were vacationing down in the Reno area, like Tahoe area, and we went to Virginia City. Anybody ever been to Virginia City? Right, it's a fun little old west. It's got that whole old west mining town kind of thing. And Virginia City was the center of sort of the gold rush days, right? It was the most important city in its day between Denver and San Francisco. It was the, uh, the riches of what came out of the earth there that literally built the town of San Francisco. And here's where this is incredibly interesting to me. When miners first came in the gold rush of the 1800s to Virginia City, they told us this while we were there. You've probably heard this before. They were trying to dig gold out of the ground, and they were having trouble finding gold because they kept coming across this weird blue sludge that would cling to their picks and their shovels and their axes. And it got to the point where it was just, it was just frustrating because they couldn't get what they wanted. Everybody wanted gold, right? And so this this blue sludge would just cling to their stuff and they would just pile it up in places. And it, it literally got to the point where they would use this mysterious mud that would cling to their picks and shovels that would hamper their efforts. They would use it to fill their potholes. You could say the sludge had a silver lining. Sorry. Because this was silver ore worth probably over $4 billion, maybe $6 billion in today's numbers. They just didn't know what they had. If the first guy in had said, I know what I have, I'm hanging on to this. It had been transformative, right? I sure hope you don't hear me talking about money today. We have his greatest of gifts, and we use them to fill the potholes of our lives when we fill a need every once in a while. We don't live on those resources daily. And I'm, I want to hone in again on his church, that all he has given us in his church is to be his church for each other, to love 
each other together, to serve a community together. And so we should love his church and serve his church and give to his church and share his church. And it's impossible to get to know Jesus better while thumbing my nose at his church. Now, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong crowd here because you're here. You're not thumbing your nose. But you all know people who've been down that road. Let's help them see how powerful it is to be a part of a real community. Wouldn't you agree? One more thing. I need to expect Jesus to change me over time from the inside out. I remind us a lot lately that our time is not God's time. But I need to expect Jesus to change me over time in his time, his perspective, his time from the inside out. I pray, verse 18, also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart so that that creates this knowing of hope and knowing of the riches of his saints and the knowing of his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And we hear the word heart and we think about emotions. The word for heart here is the word cardias. It's, it's our word cardiac, right? We think of the heart as sort of the seat of emotions, but in their way of thinking, they thought of the heart as including the seat of emotions, but also including all that encompasses the mind and all that encompasses the will so that the seat of the mind and of the emotions and of our choices of the will, all there in one place. And this is how he's praying that the eyes of all of this, that the eyes of your mind, the eyes of your emotions, the eyes of your soul, essentially, the eyes of your will, that they all might be enlightened so that, so that the scales fall off your eyes and you see Jesus for who he really is and you begin to experience in him for all that he is. These changes happen from the inside out, not the ins outside in. And yet we are very much outside in people trying to force things into our lives, right? And what we need is an inside-out transformation. And I know a guy who's up to the job. I know a guy, don't you? Don't lose that hope. And if you don't know the guy, you can know the guy today. You can know Jesus today. It's personal. It can be personal for you right here today. We always end our services with two prayers. And the first is a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of application. We're going to pray those prayers now. And then we're going to sing some more. You good with that? Essentially, I'm saying I'm going to land this thing. Let me ask you again. Are you good with that? Yeah, yeah, let's land this thing. All right, so a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus today, you're watching online and you need Jesus. You're watching here in the room and you need Jesus I just want you to think about the power of that cross and how Jesus willingly gave his life for you, not only to show you he loved you, but to change you. You can receive that and receive him. All of his grace, all of his forgiveness, all of his mercy, all that he offers, you can receive him today. Would you pray like this with me if that's you? Jesus, I need you. More than those miners needed gold or silver. I need you, Jesus. So Jesus, change me. I turn from my brokenness to you, Jesus.
And I ask that you change me from the inside out to be one of your saints. Take over my life and be my God today. Fill my life with your hope. Fill my life with your people. Fill my life with your power. Please, Jesus, make me yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, man, that's cool. It's amazing, and it's something we celebrate so if you're online, would you let us know on the digital communication card? If you're in person, would you let us know? Tell somebody that you came with. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. But let somebody know so we can celebrate with you. A bunch of you prayed that prayer or a similar one a number of years ago, right? But do you still need to know these things better? Yeah, me too. So maybe you would pray this prayer of application and discipleship with me. Pray it like this. Dear Jesus, in many seasons, I'm guilty of knowing more about you than actually knowing you. And so I thank you that you offer me Hope, real hope. Help me to experience it today. Thank you that you offer me your people. May I be encouraged and may I be an encourager. And thank you that I have your power with your purposes in my life. So accomplish all you want and again meet my greatest needs. I commit to be your church, love your church, serve your church, give to your church and share your church. Help me to never take your riches for granted again, but to rely on you to accomplish what's best for my life. Jesus, I pray you do that in all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I often say that we celebrate when we pray the prayer of salvation, but I believe with all my heart that we celebrate and God celebrates when we pray these prayers of discipleship as well when we grow in our faith. We're going to sing as we close today and just remind you that in the back we collect, there's a basket for communication cards, there's a box for offerings. Again, if you're our guest today, please know that your offering is not what we're after. We just want to get to know you. If I can serve you in some way today, I'll be right outside. If you happen to be watching online and you're thinking about coming for second service, I just remind you that this is second service today. <laughs> that we have one service today. We're so glad you're worshiping with us. We hope you have a great Labor Day. Why don't we stand as we sing some more today?